You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And you I'm sure you know it, but you're listening to this uh, well after the fact. So you know by now the Brewers have been busy. Uh, they're probably going to stay busy. Uh, made a couple of big moves on Thursday and uh, this being Friday. Uh, who knows? Uh, there could be a lot more to come. So, of course, I'm talking about the Christian Yelich trade with the Marlins and then the signing of Lorenzo Cain. So those are the two big stories uh, going into today's show. But now the uh, Brewers absolutely have a glut of outfielders. Uh, they sort of did before, and now they added two of the best defensive outfielders in the game and a couple of guys who can hit pretty well too. So uh, some big choices there. I will break that down. And helping me to break that down on this show today, uh, you know him, I should hope, from the Tout Wars Hour here on Fantasy Sports Radio. Uh, you may also know him from Creative Sports. I'm talking about Lore Michaels. Uh, I've been on his show a few times, uh, so I'm glad to have him make an appearance on this show. Uh, he will help me break down uh, all the comings and goings with the uh, with the Brewers uh, but uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the FSTA draft that Laura's uh, actually taking part in right now. That uh, is a slow draft that's in progress. And I'm going to talk about a slow draft of my own. Uh, this is my first real draft uh, for 2018. Not a mock getting played out. It is the Beat Al Melchior League. Um, I know, strange name, right? <laughs> that's uh, uh, being hosted over on Fantrax, 15-team league. We are deep into it now. Uh, we are in round 22 right now, though that could be changing as I talk because that is a live draft, although a slow draft. Uh, so we'll break down a couple of drafts and uh, talk about some interesting trends in both of them. But uh, let's get right to the big, big news. Christian Yelich going from the Marlins to the Brewers. This time around, I'm not going to complain about the Marlins Hall. I think they did quite well with this one. They got Lewis Brinson. Uh, that had been rumored for a few days. So Lewis Brinson is, in fact, a part of this deal. Also, Isan Diaz, a uh, very promising second baseman. Monty Harris, slugging outfielder. And pitcher Jordan Yamamoto, all going back to the Marlins. So... Um, Pretty nice prospect haul for them. Uh, Brinson, I would think, will slot right in to the Marlins outfield. They've got lots of uh, vacancies now. So um, talk a little bit about him later on. And then, yes, the Brewers also signed Lorenzo Cain. That's a five-year deal worth $80 million. All right, so lots to talk about with both of these deals and a lot of the collateral impact for both of them. And a few uh, minor deals to talk about as well. So stick around. I'll be dealing with all that right after this break.
Since 1995, Real-Time Fantasy Sports has been the most trusted site in the fantasy industry. Home to an award-winning commissioner service and endless money leagues offered at a variety of formats and skill levels, RTSports.com is the only destination for the fantasy player who wants it all. Plus, RT Sports offers the most reliable and quickest payouts for any level of fantasy player. Do you like trades? Hate trades? Want a league for just three weeks? No problem. RTSports.com offers it all. And to ease the gameplay for all kinds of players, we're optimized for desktop, phone, or your tablet, making it simple to play wherever, whenever. Ready to get started? Head to rtsports.com slash lobby to check out all the games we have to offer and sign up to play today. rtsports.com, everything a fantasy player could ever want under one award-winning roof. And man, we got a lot of Brewer stuff to talk about. Maybe a little bit of Marlins stuff too. But uh, Brewers, of course, making the two big moves on Thursday: trading for Christian Yelich, sending a whole bunch of prospects over to Miami, and then bringing back Lorenzo Cain uh, for five years, eighty million dollars. Uh, so let's start with the Yelich deal first. Um, so Yelich, very good season last year. Uh, for the second year in the row, showing some pretty good power, even though, of course, he's got that knock on him, which is largely deserved uh, for being an extreme ground ball hitter. He's been a little less extreme the last couple of years, and, and it's really paid some dividends in terms of power production. Hit 18 homers last year to go along with the 282 batting average, scored 100 runs for the Marlins, uh, knocked in 81 runs, uh, and stole 16 bases. Uh, so nice stat line uh, that uh, should only get better in 2018. And with uh, a lot of the moves, granted, we haven't had a lot of moves this offseason, but I don't recall there being a one where the change of scenery and the change of venue is likely to have such a dramatic impact. Uh, this is a lot of times we can maybe get a little carried away from with that. Um, I don't think so with this one. Uh and, and part of that has to do with the outfield landscape. I mean, Yelich, I, I just feel by default, uh, is, is a number two outfielder. But I think with this move, he now really is under should be under consideration as maybe a, a low-end number one outfielder in a 12-team league and, and definitely in a 15-team league. Uh, so he's right there on the one-two cusp. And, and the move really is responsible for that because he goes from a team, first of all, where he, there wasn't going to be a lot of protection or a lot of run uh, producing opportunities to one that's going to have uh, a much better situation for him. But the park, uh, he's going from one of the worst parks in the majors in terms of uh, park factors for home runs to one of the best. And for Yelich, I think that's going to make a really big difference. It's not like Stanton, you know, who made a similar move, both in terms of the lineup around him and in terms of going to a really great home run park in Yankee Stadium. But Stanton's power just uh, supersedes any kind of park factor. Yelich, not so much because he doesn't have raw power. He's got a lot of raw power, but because of the launch angle, because he does hit a lot of ground balls, uh, 
I think the park matters more. So, uh, again, 18 home runs last year for Yelich. Over the last two years, he's hit a total of 39. Only 15 of those were at Marlins Park. Think about that. 24 out of 39 home runs came away from Marlins Park. So you take those two yearly splits, put them together. What do you got? A full year's worth of at-bats on the road over the last two years. And how many home runs? 24. And bear in mind that a lot of those road games for uh, Christian Yelich were uh, at City Field, which is pretty neutral. Uh, Nationals Park, which is not a good power park for hitters. And, um, you know, Atlanta, of course, those are split because last year you had SunTrust Park and then the year before that, Turner Field. Uh, SunTrust Park, decidedly more hitter-friendly, especially for left-handed hitters. But, you know, overall, that collection of venues that Yelich has been hitting in on the road, not terribly hitter-helpful other than, of course, Citizens Bank Park, where Yelich has absolutely raked over the last couple of years. Six home runs in the last two years. Uh, And again, in fairly limited play in the big scheme of things. Have to call it a small sample still. But here's the point, that Yelich has not been hitting in great parks overall the last two seasons, and overall just shy of 40 home runs. And now he's going to get to play half of his games in Miller Park. So to me, projecting 25 home runs for him, it's, it's not a stretch whatsoever. I mean, I've had some people suggest to me on Twitter, maybe he could 30, could hit 30. Wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't project that. I wouldn't draft Yelich for 30 home runs. But 25 feels pretty safe given the track record from the last two years. Feels pretty safe given that he's not just going to a neutral park. He's going to a really, really good park for home runs. So, yeah, he can cruise right along with that 55% ground ball percent uh, percentage, which, by the way, is not terribly different from Eric Hosmer's. And Hosmer has had the uh, disadvantage as well of hitting in Kaufman Stadium. So, again, with Hosmer being in the low 20s last couple of years, it, it's just a 25-home run expectation for Christian Yelich with half of the games at Miller Park. It seems very, very reasonable. And I, you know, I've had I, I put that on Twitter and had some people respond and think that that was that was too aggressive. By the way, I just I, I just looked up Hosmer while I was talking because I said low twenties. I said I don't think that's right, and it wasn't twenty five each of the last two years, and that's playing in KC with a similar ground ball rate. So, you know, I think that just underscores uh, the argument that. It could be an easy 25 homers for Christian Yelich. Two years ago, he was one of the leaders in average fly ball distance. So I don't think Hosmer ranked has ranked anywhere close to that in either of the last couple of seasons. Anyhow, let's let's move on because there's a lot to talk about with this trade. So yeah, the, uh, the Brewers now they've got Yelich, they've got Lorenzo Kane, who yeah he gets that bonus of moving from Kauffman Stadium to Miller Park. But he's not, uh, I don't know, I don't think it's going to have as much of an impact on Kane because he just doesn't have quite the same raw power that Yelich has. Maybe a slight boost. 15 home runs last year for Lorenzo Kane. So maybe, you know, maybe that that's 18 home runs. I wouldn't project 20 for him. Uh, 300 average last year, 86 runs, 49 ribbies, 
26 stolen bases, and he's hit 300 or higher with 25 stolen bases or more in three of the last seasons, 2014, 2015, 2017. No reason to expect Lorenzo Cain to fall short of that in 2018. So that's that's pretty nice for him and for his fantasy owners. But uh, you've got Ryan Braun still there. You've got Domingo Santana still there. You've got Keon Broxton still there. Braun may play a little bit of first base, but that's not a given. Uh, the Brewers are trying to trade somebody out of that group. So we're just going to have to hang and wait and see what happens uh, because I, I don't see – it's hard to see Santana after last year getting a big reduction in playing time. Maybe we see that for Ryan Braun. I don't know, so, but th- this is going to have to shake itself out somehow, and, and it will. Uh, the Brewers need some pitching. Uh, they still could use an upgrade at second base. So something is going to happen there, and I would think sooner than later. So that's going to be fun to watch. But also, one the thing to think about is that outfield suddenly, <laughs> you've got two incredible defenders, and what a boon that could be for particularly Chase Anderson, um, who's not a stranger to the fly ball. That's pretty, you know, that's a good thing for Chase Anderson's value. Somebody I've been a little bit on the fence about this offseason, wondering, you know, can he follow up a breakout season? But uh, yeah, looking it up, 39% ground ball rate for Anderson last year. So pretty much right in line with the numbers he's he's typically put up. So that's that's a nice boon. Now, whoever the third outfielder is, Braun, Santana, Broxton, they're not on the same level defensively. Broxton maybe could could be a nice third there. I think he's the least likely one to stick as a regular. Uh, but either way you look at this, is this is a big defensive upgrade for the Brewers pitchers. And on the Marlins side, you know, Lewis Brinson, I would think probably he becomes an everyday player for them. Uh, don't get overexcited about his minor league stats from last year. You definitely won't get overexcited for the little bit of stats he put together with the Brewers because they were terrible. But um, pretty good minor league numbers, but really, really skewed by playing in Colorado Springs. Got to remember that, that uh, AAA affiliate uh, for the Brewers was Colorado Springs. He had a 1.079 OPS and a 264 ISO at home in Colorado Springs. For the road games in AAA, just an 821 OPS and a 192 ISO. Those numbers more in line with his previous numbers. Those are the ones I'll buy and maybe even a little bit lower, not only because of the transition from AAA to major leagues, but again, Marlins Park. So I'm not really looking to Brinson this year to be much of a power source um, but I do think that he'll he'll give you some stolen bases. So I think that's that's Brinson's main value. Uh, real quick, let me just uh, rattle off a few uh, smaller, a couple smaller deals uh, involving players that are going to be utility players. The the Mets are bringing back Jose Reyes on a one year deal, and the Royals are re- have resigned rather. Or no, I'm sorry, they have an agreement to resign Alcides Escobar. That according to FanRag Sports. John Heyman. So, anyhow, uh, time to take a break. And while we come back on the other side, Lord Michaels is good to hear. So, looking forward to that. We'll be right back after this break. 
Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. You are still listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball, and thank you very much for doing so. And you're going to be glad that you did, because now joining me uh, from uh, our uh, fellow program over here on Fantasy Sports Radio, the Tout Wars Hour, and also Creative Sports, Mr. Lore Michaels. Lore, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's, <clears throat> it's always my pleasure, Al. I just tweeted out, jump on, because I'm going to join you on your show for a change. <laughs> you can ask me stuff. Well, you've been so great helping out when either Justin or I are gone uh, co-hosting. So I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to return the favor, man. Oh well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that you're doing that. And uh, anytime, of course, uh, I can help you on your show. It's a great program, uh, and I have a great time with uh, you or Justin or whoever's on. So uh, well, let's let's get to it because there's so much to talk about. Uh, let's start. I asked about the whole last segment, of course, talking about uh, mostly about the Yelich deal, but a little bit about uh, the Kane signing as well. So starting with Yelich, uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's it's an upgrade. Uh, do you agree? And, and how much of an upgrade do you think? Oh, you, you mean for, uh, for for? I'm assuming for the Brewers. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean for Yelich owners, but but yeah, but we. The oh Brewers yeah. Too. Oh, I don't know. I, I, you know, an upgrade. Yeah, he's in a better lineup. Um, they're not going to be able to pitch around him as much. Uh, I the 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 biggest issue he's going to face. Well, if it's an issue, that team is loaded. I started writing down names and went. Well, there's Kane, there's Yelich, there's Brom, there's Broxton, there's Santana, and there's Thames, and that doesn't count Shaw even. I mean. I mean, those yep. guys are loaded. They could platoon. They're, they're, they're suddenly they're a really, really good looking team, aren't they? I mean, the uh, outfield, yeah, I think so. I, I was thinking. I mean, I, I was kind of bummed about Florida making the moves because I really was going to enjoy Stanton Yelich and, and Ozuna coming into their own as what I thought was going to be the best outfield in the majors for a few years. But actually, yep. Kane Yelich and Braun or. Kane Yelich and Santana. That's not really. It's not like that's a bad one for sure. But I, yeah, you know, no, it's. I, I I don't really. I only think trading a guy to a, a different environment. Maybe that jack should jack up a price a, a, a buck or two. You know, I think if you have an, an, an inherent feeling that a guy is a good player, then you should just go with what you what you believe and 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 that maybe might be a little extra added bonus, but I don't think it would change yeah. my assessment much. Well, well, my take on it earlier in the show is this is one of the few changes of scenery where it, it makes a real difference to me. Cause I 98% of the time, probably when there's player movement, my take is exactly what your take just was like, well, the player's the player. There might be a marginal bump up or down, but the player's the player. But this is Yelch is just so unusual because he he does hit so many grounders and yet he hits flies with as much distance as and authority as pretty much anybody in the majors. So getting that bonus with a, a such a big change in park factor, I think makes a difference between him being somebody people don't trust to hit twenty to somebody people should expect to hit twenty five or more. And and uh, given the outfield landscape, I think that's a meaningful difference. 
uh, the, you, you could well be right there. And the other thing, and, and I sort of glossed over it, is he was the only bat in town in Florida, period. So they don't have to pitch to him. They don't, you know, they, they don't. They can, they can exploit all the other young kids that are going to be in that lineup. And now they have to. At least some of the time they're going to have to come at him whether they like it or not. And that means he'll get his pitch more often than not. And that, that for, if, if a player knows how to work the zone, that is, that is a valuable added. That could easily yep. add 10, 20 points to your average, 25, 30 points to your slugging, just having better pitches to choose from. Yeah, excellent point. Excellent point. Well, let's do a little uh, would you rather here because uh, I, I do think that it's very bunchy in the, uh, I don't know, 12 to maybe 18 range in, in outfield rankings. Uh, so a few to compare to. First of all, Yelich or the other guy leaving uh, Miami, Marcelo Zuna. Who would you rather have this year in fantasy? Uh, I, Ozuna. I think Ozuna's better. Uh, Ozuna's only a year older than Yelich is and. and... Look how, I mean, he's going into his peak years coming off of like arguably the quietest best year anybody had in the majors last year. Yeah. How about, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, Well, how about uh, Tommy Pham versus Yelich? I I would like to, but I I would like to buy into Tommy Pham, but Yelich. I just, yeah, I think on I, skills I, alone, I'd go fan, but the you know the ongoing issue with his eye, uh, you know injury history with him, I, I'd go Yelich too. And how I, about I also, somebody who I think pro? I'm sorry, go ahead, Laura. Well, I also think fam, you know, fam plays with a chip on his shoulder, which on one hand I appreciate. On the other hand, sometimes if if that, if you're playing totally on attitude, at some point that's gonna, and I don't mean that as a negative thing. But you got to think you're good at it. But I, I, if I had to choose, for example, between him and Whit Merrifield, I would take Whit Merrifield because Whit Merrifield just sort of strikes me as more of a David Eckstein, Dustin Pedroia. I play hard. This is how I play. Whereas I, I, I just don't get the same essence. And, and this is stupid, I think, maybe to base who you're going to pick guys on. But I just don't get the same essence out of fam. There's something, something else there going on to me that, that, that I just it, – it bothers me. And maybe I'm completely wrong, but I, I don't <laughs> trust them. I, I don't trust myself to really judge people based on, you know, body language or, um, you know, an attitude you might pick up from, you know, interviews or, or such. But it's, you know, it's something that probably deserves more attention than it gets. So, you know, I, I like that analysis. Um, but in terms of, you know, the skill profile, I think uh, Yelich and Andrew Benintendi are quite similar. Which one would you rather have? I would probably go Benatendi. Uh, once again, all other things being equal, he's three years younger and one more year more advanced. I mean, he had a really, really good rookie season. Uh, it got paled a little bit, or it, it paled a little bit, just because you know, I, I hate to keep picking on poor Eduardo Escobar, not only because I like him, but I have him on my Stratomatic team. But somebody has to explain to me how he managed to hit 22 homers um, without something weird being going on. And, and you know, I mean, I, I think I think Attendee's ben, uh, ben numbers kind of got lost in the shuffle of all the guys that hit 20 homers. Uh, but he's only 23 years old. He he comported himself really well, I thought. Yeah. And, and with that age, you know, you can project even more growth, which is, mm-hmm. you know, why I think people are 
you know, going going pretty aggressively after Benintendi in, in early drafts. Um, and speaking of which, we're going to get to your early draft in just a minute here. But I do just want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about Lorenzo Kane. Somebody on Twitter asked me today, who would I rather have, Kane or uh, Andrew McCutcheon? Uh, I'll, I'll reveal my answer if I want to hear yours first. Which, uh, which outfielder would you go for first? Kane. I, w- I would take Kane. Uh, I think he's healthier. And, and again, no slide on Kutch. I, I just I, I have a bad feeling about the Giants this year. It's uh you know, I, I, I wish I didn't, but but I they don't have any bench. They have nobody they could trade anybody for. Their average player age is just under thirty, and that's if Steve Dugar starts in center field at age twenty four. You take him out of the equation and they're thirty one years old. Uh Pence's injury prone, McCutcheon's injury prone, uh, Brandon Belt is injury prone. Buster Posey's getting older. I and whereas Kane's going to a, that monster team with Yelich and Braun and Broxton, I think those guys are going to rock it, man. That's a really good team. I think, don't you think? They, I mean, that makes these guys fun. Yeah, they they were fun and they were good last year. <laughs> I think it's going to be even more so this year. So I, I totally agree with you on that. And yeah, and I also agree with you. It's close, very close, which is why I asked you. I think it's an interesting question, question but I think Kane just by a hair. And the, and the team context probably for me is, is the tiebreaker. Uh, all right, well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about your draft. Uh, really, really interesting. Let's see, I pull it up right here. Uh, you started off with Clayton Kershaw. You got the 13th pick. It's a 14-team league, correct? Yeah. Um, and this is Roto, I assume? Yeah, uh, five by five. Five by five. Okay, so you start off with Kershaw, and then uh, snaking back around uh, three picks later, you got Jose Ramirez. And I thought that was an interesting choice there, and a tough choice because immediately after that, it was Manny Machado, Freddie Freeman, Aaron Judge, and Francisco Lindor. So why did you choose Ramirez uh, over those other options? You know, I, I I've been thinking about this a lot, especially in deference to. I've got like five slow industry drafts going on right now, so it's hard to keep track of them. Actually, it's kind of fun and goofy, but but <laughs> I'm but starting to try to think why do I make any of the picks that I make, and you know what what and, and Kershaw Kershaw to me was a no brainer. I never expected him to come to me at, at pick number thirteen. And it was just sort of, you have to take him. There's no question about it. So I didn't think much about that. But coming back around, it's, all right, this is the player that's going to probably really help me set the tone to my team. That, uh, you know, Kershaw, Kershaw gives me something in pitching. No question about it. Uh, I have to be pitching strong. But now what's the what's the basic essence nature of my team? And And I tend to like flexibility. I'm trying to keep towards youth. I'm also trying to build out of more power and worry about my pitching later on. And I just thought that Ramirez, amongst all three of those guys, I don't expect any upside. I think all of those guys are pretty much producing at peak value, and I wouldn't expect anything more out of any of them. They're all really, really, really good ballplayers. I do think J-Ram has it over the other players on speed, uh, or at least a power-speed combination that, that I trust a little more. Lindor's got it too, but but uh, I also, you know, I think he hit like 26, 27 homers, but he hit 52 doubles. And I think 
he's capable of hitting 45 doubles and potentially 32, 33 homers. And that's a nice little spike there. I think those numbers could translate back and forth. And I, I, he just, and he qualifies at second and he qualifies at third. Um, so it, and I don't know. I, I just thought I, I want to build my team around him. It seems more fun than the other guys. And so that's what kind of prompted when it came down to me realizing that I sort of thought I really don't have any idea what, <laughs> why, I mean, do you know what I mean? Do you ever, do you ever get to that point? And it's just sort of, it's my turn to pick. And cause that second pick is pivotal, especially when you're at the wheel. Cause I'm not getting another pick for what? 28 guys. So right, whatever right. I'm doing yeah, now, that's that the die is cast. So it's like, well, <laughs> I guess I'll do this. You know, do you know that? Yeah, you know but what I know what you're talking about. At some point, you just pick the guy you like, you know, because you can rationalize it one way or another. Uh, but uh, we are out of time, Laura. I wanted to ask you actually a whole bunch of other stuff, so I'm going to have to bring you back on uh, at some That's point. Great. But uh, thank you for taking the time and, and good luck. Thanks a lot, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And I think we'll see you soon, right? I uh, will. March, Tower Wars. I'll be there. All right, folks. Well, and I'll be back here right after this break. In a world where most fantasy shows are, well, basically lame, three warriors emerge from the ashes. Jake Seeley with his power to predict the future. I told you so. Joe Pizapia with his sword of truth. You know nothing. And Chris Meany with the ability to apologize. Sorry. They are the award-winning on-target fantasy every day here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. Check the link. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melker, your host. And uh, big thanks to Laura Michaels from the uh, Tower Wars Hour here on uh, Fantasy Sports Radio and also from Creative Sports. Uh, also should mention, because he uh, dropped that uh, Tout Wars reference there, that we're going to see each other in March at Tout Wars. He's a two-time AL League champion in Tout Wars. So, uh, Laura, longtime veteran of the industry. Always good to get... Uh, his view on things uh and uh yeah interesting check that out if you have a chance uh the fsta uh draft uh let me see i don't know if there's a an easy url actually the very easy url uh rtsports.com slash siriusxm can't doesn't get much easier than that check out those results uh for laura and the other owners uh but uh, he waited quite a while on first base and uh, I want to say what other uh, and catcher, which of course a lot of us do, but very aggressive and going out and getting Craig Kimbrell. I really wanted to ask him about that, but uh, maybe I'll wait when this is over, uh, that uh, draft is over, and then I can ask him again. Uh, but meanwhile, I'm going to shift the focus to uh, a slow draft that I am doing, and it's over on Fan Tracks, and uh, it's the Beat Al Melchior League. So basically, they just solicited uh, 14 owners to come and and try to beat me. And uh, based on how the draft is going, uh, I th- think that could happen. <laughs> that's that's not a knock on my drafting. I actually really like my team. I'm going to talk about my team uh, just, uh, quite a bit here. But uh, some other nice rosters shaping up in, in that league as well. But uh, I, it's a 15-team uh, league, 5x5. Five five. Now, the interesting uh, kind of twist in this league is that 
it's a 50 round draft, but there are no in season moves other than uh, bench moves, basically uh, lineup moves, but you can, there's no waiver wire, no free agents, no trades. Um, so that just makes drafting a whole different thing. And um, so I've got, that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit. Uh, it's just the, the nature of this, uh, this type of format and uh, how I'm dealing with it. So uh, it got, got interesting right away. It's 15 team league. I've got the 10th pick. And I had the option when it got to me, Clayton Kershaw had just been taken with the ninth pick. So I knew with a 15 team league and a snake draft and waiting those 20 picks to get, or I'm sorry, 20, the 10 picks, bad math there, the 10 picks to get back to me, I was probably going to miss out on numbers two, three, and four of the big four. So I could have used that 10th overall pick to take, I would have taken Max Scherzer, but the obviously would have been one of Scherzer's sale and Kluber. And I opted not to. And I just, I had this sense. It's sort of like what, what uh, Laura was talking about the last se- uh, last segment. Sometimes you just, you just go with your gut or there's just a player you want and you find the way to rationalize it. And I just didn't, maybe it's just my history of not going after pitchers in the first round. I do it sometimes and it always feels sort of weird or maybe even sort of wrong. And so for whatever reason, I sort of froze on that opportunity. And I went and took Mookie Betts. And then I sort of had instant buyer's remorse because I thought, okay, now I've got to wait for 10 other owners to make their picks or 10 other picks, five other owners making two picks, actually. And among those 10 picks, you figure this, the three are going to go. And I almost got away with it. Chris Sale went 14th. Max Scherzer went 18th, third pick in the second round. And then with that fifth pick in the second round, right before me, Corey Kluber. So I really thought I had a good shot to get Kluber. I would have been so happy to come away with the first two picks, Mookie Betts and Corey Kluber. Instead, those guys are off the board, was not interested in going after Carlos Carrasco, who I talked about on the last show as being my fifth-ranked starting pitcher. Because while I do like Carrasco the best out of them, it's very, very close and lumpy uh, between him and about half a dozen other starters. So I went with Anthony Rizzo. And given the the, the reality I was left with, I, I have no doubt that that was the right pick. Uh, because I, I didn't want to have to you know wait around on the chance that I could get uh, Jose Abreu or, or Reese Hoskins, and and frankly, I just I, you know, I like Rizzo a bit better than you know even the other first baseman in that tier. So I took Rizzo and was was happy with that. And then sure enough, uh, Rizzo and Encarnacion and Hoskins all went before I came up again. So I took Anthony Rendon in the third round, and this is something I I talked about when I did the third base landscape overview uh, probably about, I don't know, two weeks ago maybe on this show and talking about that second tier of third baseman and how there's a huge drop-off. And sure enough, Rendon was the last one left in that uh, in that tier. So I took him and was very glad because then it was more than two rounds before another third baseman got taken because everybody else was probably thinking the same thing. Uh, and I, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to have to you know, settle to get, you know, Justin Turner or somebody else to two rounds later. So, so that, that's how I came away with the, the first three rounds, Betts, Rizzo and Rendon. 
And then in the fourth round, I got my first starting pitcher, who was Chris Archer. So all in all, I felt okay about that. Uh, I don't, in fact, in retrospect, I, I wouldn't have done it any differently. Um, so, I, you know, I could have gotten, I could have gone Scherzer and Judge one and two, but then I would have missed out on Rizzo. Uh, so I think, you know, overall that, that first four, given all the opportunity costs that were paid to get them, Betts, Rizzo, Rendon, Archer, um, I felt good about that. I felt good about the process. The next player I took was uh, Xander Bogarts, and I'm going to table a discussion to Bogarts till Monday's show because I'm going to have Keith Farnsworth on, and we had some conversation uh, on Twitter about that, and I just thought, well, this is this is great. This is something that should be saved for the show. <laughs> so uh, Bogarts, and it's not just Keith Far- Farnsworth. Um, Bogart seems to be a very polarizing player based on what the comments that I'm seeing. So uh, I want to be able to just break that out into a separate Bogart's discussion for the next show, which will be Monday. Uh, And then after Bogart's got my number two outfielder, uh, Andrew McCutcheon. And then really from that point on, I focused uh, a a lot on pitching. And that's that's, uh, one of the things I do want to focus on here because uh, when I've talked about starting pitching on here, I've talked about how I really want to get a solid number one, number two, um, and then just really go upside after that. Well, this is a little different because in a, in a typical league, I'd, so for example, my number two starter that I got was Garrett Cole. Perfectly happy with that. So Archer and Cole, they're at the front of my rotation. Uh, granted, I'm going a little bit on the low end in terms of number one and number two, but no complaints given the bats that I got by not emphasizing starting pitching more. But then after that, this makes me really, really nervous because I've just, I don't love the quote unquote safe options that are available, that are available after the likes of Garrett Cole are gone. And so I didn't draft a rotation, even though I intended to do something different. I didn't draft a rotation in this league. That's that's very different from a rotation that I probably would have drafted in a league where I could make trades and waiver moves. Because my philosophy the last, uh, I want to say, I think three seasons has been nail down a good number one, number two, maybe number three. But then just figure you're going to pitch and ditch. But my pitching and ditching is going to have to happen all within my 50-player roster. So I better have some safety there. And I didn't draft a whole lot of that. So... The rotation that I have, the, the starting pitchers that I have so far, Archer and Cole, and then Luis Castillo, who I, I really like, have taken him in a lot of mock drafts. Um, but in this league, it's a little bit different. That risk of can he do for a full season what he did for a partial season with the Reds, that's a little scary to have him as my number three guy, to be honest, in this, uh, in this particular format. And then I've got Danny Salazar, because... Drafting Luis Castillo just wasn't risky enough. <laughs> so if uh, either of those guys pans out, I'm going to be extremely happy. But it's a lot of risk there for number three and number four in a league where you can't make uh, moves with, with players that aren't already on your roster. My number five, Michael Waka, who, again, is one of my favorites going into this year. Nice, uh, sizable spike in strikeout rate and in velocity 
last year. I like him as a fifth starter in a 15-team league. I'm perfectly happy with that. But he's had injuries over the years. Can I count on innings from Waka? And, and can I count on him to maintain what he, he the gains that he made last year? And then uh, more risk with my sixth uh, starting pitcher that I got, Luis Gohara. Again, another favorite of mine. Tons of upside. Uh, not a whole lot of track record there. Joe Musgrove. And now we're getting you know pretty late. This is you know getting into the early 20s uh, round-wise here. And the next two I took were Joe Musgrove and Mike Miner. I mean, at this point, I'm not going to get a safe pitcher that, you know, I can count on to be, uh, you know, let's say number three or number four uh, pitcher. So at this point, I'm going, I, I sort of missed the window to get that that safe pitcher. I really wanted Patrick Corbin at one point, probably should have targeted him a little sooner and uh, got sniped on him. So anyhow, that's how that's shaping up. Hopefully there's some things to think about there for you as you enter into your first drafts. But uh, I'll uh, talk about this a bit more. But first, we got to head to break. And I'll be right back. Calling all drivers. Want a career that will take you places? Then Coach USA and Megabus is the place for you. Coach USA and Megabus, leaders in the local and intercity bus transportation industry, are looking for career minded, conscientious drivers with a valid CDL Class A or B license with passenger endorsement. They offer paid training, competitive salary, and many benefits. Apply now and start driving to a better future. Visit CoachUSA.jobs. That's CoachUSA.jobs. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, it's very, very late in the show, I think, to uh, hit this particular news item. But uh, congratulations to Chipper Jones, Jim Tomei, Vladimir Guerrero, and Trevor Hoffman. You are going to Cooperstown. So uh, very, very cool, uh, very deserving class. And can't wait till next year to see if we can get uh, Edgar Martinez and Mike Mussina in there. But uh, so, yeah, the big news from the last couple of days since the last show, anyhow, uh, that uh, I didn't get to. And also another item that uh, sort of got lost in the shuffle with all the, the Brewers news was that uh, the Nationals are pursuing JT Real Muto. Marlins want Victor Robles back. Um, not sure that that's going to happen, but uh, those talks are ongoing. So the, uh, the sell-off does continue there. Uh, with the Marlins. So just to wrap up here with the discussion of my uh, beat Al Melchior league team uh, over on fan tracks that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real dilemma in terms of how to deal with pitching in this sort of format uh, where you can't make in season uh, trades or, or waiver moves. And and looking, you know, back, you know, what I might've been able to do differently even though I, I'm very nervous about relying on the likes of, of Luis Castillo and Luis uh, Gohara, Danny Salazar, you know, relying on, on the likes of, uh, you know, either very inconsistent or very unproven pitchers. 
I, you know, if I did it again, I'm not sure <laughs> what I would change. I had, as I mentioned, Patrick Corbin in my queue at one point. Was really hoping he'd fall to me. I had uh, Julio Tehran in there. And it's not that either one of them are particularly super safe, but I do feel more confidence in what I expect from those two uh, than the the pitchers that I've actually rostered. Uh, But, uh, you know, Drew Pomeranz, I'm looking at some of the other other pitchers that went, uh, Drew Pomeranz, Jamison Tyone. I think Danny Duffy's pretty safe. I had the discussion on Wednesday with Heath Cummings. He feels a little bit differently. Uh, Gio Gonzalez. Marco Estrada, you know, these are all pitchers I could have could have targeted, but really it's it's not that much it's not it's not as much of a trade-off of safety versus upside as maybe I have presented it as uh over the last few weeks because I feel like even these relatively safe pitchers are not that safe. So it's not like you're getting like I think a few years back uh and shoot, I am I'm absolutely blanking on the pitcher's name. But, um, you know, somebody who was just, you know, sort of a, a very solid number three starter type, uh, you, you, you could feel very confident of what they were going to get, a real pattern of consistency there, but just no upside. And I, I'm not sure what that, that option is. In 2018, that's what I'm going to have to explore a little bit more in the coming shows. Anyways, thank you so much for joining me. Big thanks to Laura Michaels for joining me. And uh, hope uh, you come back again on Monday when I talk to Keith Farnsworth. In the meantime, stay tuned for Fantasy Best Friends Forever and have a great weekend.